If you have your Bible, please go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And if you don't have your Bible, then just follow along with us on your digital device or your screen. If you're watching at home, then get your Bible and let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 3. We've been talking about the three battlefields which you must engage. And we return again to where we started in this series, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness to us. And I pray this morning as we come to your word that you would speak to our heart and to the life of your people. We pray for victory in every one of these three battlefields. And I ask you to anoint the lips, my lips of clay to preach your word. And I ask you to anoint this congregation's hearing. That as they hear the word, they might put it to use in their life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. We've been talking about three battlefields that... You must engage. And I believe that these are imperatives. These are a must. Because the battle that you and I are a part of, the Bible describes as a spiritual warfare or a spiritual battle. And in order to have God's perfect victory in our life, we must engage this battlefield in these three areas. I'll review for you this morning as we have discussed the first battleground that the believer must engage is the battlefield of the mind. This is where it all begins. This is where the victory is won or lost for most people. The Bible says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so our thoughts produce our actions and our actions produce the kind of life that we're going to have. I've shared with you that each of these battlegrounds has a key to being able to win in it, and the key to win the battlefield of the mind is truth. When you come to know the truth of God's Word, and you build your life upon that truth, that, that truth begins to shape your mind, your thoughts, and you begin to have what the Bible calls the mind of Christ, because you are no longer operating in the deception of the world or even of your own senses, but you're being led by the truth of God's Word, the second battlefield we spoke of last week is the battlefield of the church. The church is God's triumphant body on the earth, the body of Christ uh, exercising its authority and power in the earth to carry, a, uh, to carry out divine aims and goals that God has in each generation. The church of Jesus Christ advances at the speed of its unity. When we come together as a body, of believers, we come in unity, there's power in that unity, and the church advances to do great works. When the church is not united, when it is divided, or when it is distracted, it becomes sluggish and slow and unable to fulfill its mission. 
But as we saw last week, we receive many benefits from being a part of the body of Christ, from being a part of the church. And the ministry that impacts our life through the church is really so great, it's uncalculable, ultimately, until we get to heaven. And so we pray and we walk in the spirit of unity. Finally, this morning, I want to share with you about the spiritual realm. And this is the battlefield that takes place in the heavenlies. This is an invisible battle which the Bible describes in the book of Ephesians and which I will uh, read that portion to you in just a moment. But this battlefield is won by the power of prayer. And so this morning we're going to talk about the battle that takes place in the spiritual realm, in the heavenly realm, how you can win that battle and how you can experience God's victory in every area of your life. We read this morning that our warfare is not of the flesh. That means that our war, our battle, primarily is not physical, but spiritual. Man is a three-part being. He is a spirit who has a soul and lives in a body. And the spirit of man is that part of man that has communion with God. When you were born again, you came alive spiritually. And now you have a spiritual life. And so the battle of the, uh, of the Spirit is essential to our victory because most things that we see in the natural have first taken their shape in the spiritual life of a person. And so we want to uh, understand that our warfare in the Spirit is essential to our victory and ultimately in, essential to seeing the manifestation of all of God's best for our life. It begins with the spiritual life. It begins with you engaging in the spiritual warfare that Paul talks about when he says fight the good fight of faith. Now let's notice some things here in the text we read. The Bible says that we do not wrestle or we do not make war in the natural realm but in the spiritual realm. And the Bible says that we have been given weapons. Verse 4 of Second Second Corinthians chapter ten says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So God has given to us spiritual weapons for this spiritual battle, and these spiritual weapons, the Bible tells us, are powerful, are mighty through God. God has not given you flimsy weapons with which to fight a spiritual war. Instead, he has given you mighty weapons, weapons of power, which when engaged can bring about a change in the natural world. If you want to affect your life, you must learn to operate in and use spiritual weapons. I'll mention a few of them for you. Of course, this morning we're going to talk about prayer. There's also the weapon of praise and worship. There's the weapon of fasting. There's the weapon of generous giving. There is the spiritual weapon of agreement or unity. We have in the Bible the greatest of all spiritual weapons, the Word of God, which the Bible says is the sword of the Spirit. And so you have been given mighty and powerful spiritual weapons. Many times we have a spiritual problem. We try to address it with natural weapons. Or with, or with physical weapons, and those cannot succeed in giving you a victory in your spiritual life. 
And so we have been given mighty and powerful weapons. But then the Bible also says that we have been, uh, we have been given training. We have been given the capacity to use those weapons. And in Psalm chapter 144, verse 1, the Bible says, Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. So not only have, been, have you been given weapons, but you have been given training. You say, Pastor, who does the training? Well, primarily the training is done by the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Jesus said, I'm going to go to the Father's right hand, but I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to send you the, the Holy Spirit to teach you. And He will remind you of all the things that you have learned. And so that promise is still true today. God is still teaching the believer how to win in life. And how to win in this spiritual battles of life. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is the best teacher that you could ever have? He is, uh, first of all, exceedingly wise. He's all-knowing. So there's no question you'll ever have that he doesn't have an answer for. And then, perhaps my favorite, is that the Holy Spirit is exceedingly patient. How many of you know that the Holy Spirit is a patient teacher? Some of us don't learn so quick, you know. We take our time getting there, but the Holy Spirit is patient. He walks with us when we're stubborn, when we're prideful, when we want to do it our own way. And He continues to draw us back, to pull us back to Himself, that we might learn to heed and obey the voice and the Word of God. A whole lot more patient than many of us who uh, can't, can't teach for very long. Uh, and if our student isn't very good at learning how to drive or learning how to make banana pudding, then we, we lose patience. Uh, this is not an altar call. I'm just telling you how we are. But there is a teacher this morning who will walk with you every day of your life. And he will teach your hands to war and your fingers to fight. Somebody shout praise the Lord. Because the Holy Spirit is our teacher. He's our guide. He is directing us. For the battles of life. And then we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 7. The Apostle Paul says that the weapons of righteousness are for the right hand and for the left. Now we see that the weapons are not only powerful. And we've not only been given a teacher. But we have been given weapons for every occasion. He said the weapons of righteousness are for the right hand and for the left. That means that these spiritual weapons work ambidextrously. Now, most of us are right-handed. Some people are left-handed. But a few people are ambidextrous. That means they can use both hands and do the same task. They can write with both hands. And now God says, my weapons will, will work in every hand or every situation of your life. Send in somebody. There is no challenge you'll ever face where spiritual weapons or where spiritual wisdom does not have a role to play in your life. And when we learn to engage these weapons by the power and leadership of the Holy Spirit, we can experience God's victory in our life. It's God's desire and God's design that you have spiritual victory. It is not God's plan that you be bound by anything in your life. Say amen, somebody. It is not God's will for you to be bound by any power of darkness or by fear and anxiety or by any limiting thought. 
He wants you free and free indeed. And He wants you victorious. But the Bible said He always leads us to triumph. He always leads us to victory. And it's God's will for you and I to live in this perfect victory in our spiritual life. We will discover that when our spiritual life is victorious, our natural life will be victorious. And we will exhibit and manifest in our day-to-day life what's going on in our spiritual life. And so this is a battlefield of extreme importance. Paul describes the battlefield in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. Go there with me, please, as we study the Word of God together. This is probably one of the most quoted verses in the, uh, in the Pentecostal church, perhaps uh, in all churches. But it's a, a, a verse that I want us to detail a little bit more this morning. The Bible says there, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Now notice, first of all, the Bible says there that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. If you would just leave that verse up there for us for a few minutes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That means your problem primarily is not your husband or your wife. Say amen, somebody. Your problem is not your children, it's not your neighbor, it's not your co-worker, it's not your boss. You say, but pastor, you don't know my neighbor, and you don't know my kids, and you don't know my in-laws. They are not your problem. The Bible says that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against powers and principalities. Now, four things are mentioned there that we need to understand. First of all, Paul mentions rulers. He says we are going up against rulers. That means there are governors. Or there are people, or there are personalities who govern in the spiritual realm. Primarily, we understand this to be Satan. The Bible says that Satan is the ruler of this age. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. I'll mention more about that in a moment. Then he says we're going up against powers. That means that there are authorities at work. How did Satan receive this authority? Then we read about the forces of darkness. This is the the influence that he has. There is a satanic, dark, and evil influence that influences the lives of people. And then ultimately he tells us the realm of this battle. He says this battle is taking place in heavenly places or in the heavenly realm. Let's understand this this morning because the better we understand the battle, the better we will be able to understand the victory. Now I know I'm going, I'm going a little deep this, uh, this morning, so I'm asking you to jump off on the deep end with me and just hang on. We're going to get through all of this material together. Are you with me this morning? The Bible says that Satan is the prince of this world. What does that mean? That means that he is governing in this world. And when you look around at our world and you see the brokenness and the, the, sin, the sin and the shame and the fallenness, you see the great evidence of this fact. How did he become a governor in this world? Well, God created Adam and, and gave to him and Eve dominion. He said, 
I, I, have, I have given you dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the, all of the fowl, uh, uh, all of the beasts of the field. God gave man dominion. He gave him authority. He gave him control. Then Adam fell in the Garden of Eden. He fell into sin. And the whole human race fell with him. And Satan usurped Adam's dominion. Satan usurped Adam's authority. And now he operates in the dominion and authority that once belonged to Adam. And he has wreaked havoc in our world. He has wreaked havoc since uh, the fall of man and uh, will continue to do so in every life where he's given such authority. That authority came to him by usurpation. He stole it. He, uh, he is a thief. The Bible says that the thief came but to steal, kill, and destroy. The Bible also says that Satan is a liar from the beginning. And so we see the power of Satan is his influence. The influence of satanic deception is real and it is powerful and it is dark. And don't ever think that you know how far you can go with the devil. He'll always take you further than you want to go. And it'll always cost you more than you intended to pay. Satan is not your friend and evil is not your friend. Evil and Satan are your mortal enemies. They are the arch enemy of God. They, they wrestle against the purpose of God in your life. And this satanic influence rules primarily in the spiritual realm. In heavenly places. That means it's an invisible battle. Satan came into this authority by usurping it. But 2,000 years ago, the Bible tells us that a second Adam came. That meant that God made a new man. Just like he made Adam out of the dust of the earth. He made a new man in the womb of the Virgin Mary. This new man was no ordinary man, but he was the Son of God. He was the eternal second person of the Godhead. And the Son of God was born in, in human flesh. And he lived among us, and they called his name Jesus. He lived on the earth for 30 years. And then he began his public ministry. And he began to do signs and wonders. He began to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And then Satan put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. And the rulers of the Jews, as well as the rulers of the Roman powers in Palestine, put him to death on a cross. And that usurper the devil thought, I have taken care of the greatest threat that ever came to me. But what he didn't realize was that Jesus was not going to stay put. He was not going to stay in the tomb. But on the third day he rose again with power and with great glory. And he is today in all power and in all authority forevermore. Somebody shout amen. Jesus has come to disarm and to remove the authority of the devil. This is what he said. He said in John chapter 12 verse 31. Now judgment is come upon the world. These are the words of Christ. And now the prince of this world will be cast out. Jesus came and died on the cross. To cast out the authority of the devil. And to cast off of every believer the authority that Satan would have over man. In John chapter 14 verse 30. Jesus said. I will speak no longer with this world. Oh, pardon, I will speak 
no longer with you. For the prince of this world is coming. He, he was talking about Judas Iscariot. He was saying Judas, by the, by the workings of the devil, has already hatched a plot to have me arrested. And to put me in prison. And to crucify me. He said the prince of this world is coming. But he has no claim on me. Just notice those words of Jesus. He says the prince of this world is coming. Satan is coming against me. And he's going to take me to the cross. He's going to crucify me. I'm going to die and be buried. But Satan has no claim on me. Why? Because he knew that he was going to overcome the power of death and of hell and of the devil. And that he would disarm him as Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 says. It says that he has disarmed Satan. And the Bible says that he has disarmed the rulers and authorities. And he made a public display of them having triumphed over them through Christ. Jesus Christ has died. He has been buried and he's been risen from the dead. He's ascended into the the right hand of God. And today he is sitting in authority and power and dominion. And guess what? The authority that Adam lost has been regained by Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. Somebody ought to shout amen. Now those words that Jesus spoke, you need to understand and you need to speak. He said, he has no claim on me. Jesus was saying, Satan has no claim on me. He has no authority over me. Satan was sitting in the rule and authority of of the earth until Jesus came. But when Jesus came, he lost that power and he lost that authority. And today, we understand the authority belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Satan has authority in many lives. And every life that will give him a place, he'll take authority. The Bible says, do not make room for the devil. If you make room for the devil, he'll come into your life, he'll wreak havoc. But if you close the door on him the way Jesus did, then he will not have access to your life and won't be able to wreak havoc in any place in your life. So what must we do? Three things we must do. In order to win this spiritual battle, first of all, we must enter the spiritual realm by prayer. Prayer is primarily a spiritual act. When you pray, you are entering into the spiritual realm. You are, you are taking your place as a child of God when you pray. And you enter into the spiritual realm. That means that Prayer is not primarily about our bended knees, our folded hands, or our closed eyes. But prayer is about doing spiritual business. Transacting a spiritual transaction. That is why prayer is so powerful and why it is so hated by Satan and so hindered by the powers of darkness. When you pray, your body gets very little benefit from it in terms of the natural. Your knees start aching and they start screaming out to you, don't they, when you're praying and saying, this hurts. And worse yet, if you're fasting and your body tells you, I'm going to die if I don't eat a donut. Your body benefits very little from it because while you're praying, the mind is thinking about all the other things you need to be doing. 
But when you pray, your spirit is doing business with God. Now, these are the things that happen when you pray. First of all, when you pray, you commune with God because your spiritual life exists by fellowship with God. Jesus said, a day is coming and now is when those who worship God will worship Him in spirit and in truth. When your spirit is in, when, in your, when you are in prayer, you are communion with God. And this is the, this is the reality. A, a person can raise their hands and not be worshiping. You could raise your hands and be thinking about the bills you have to pay. Or what time you got to get to work in the morning. And so lifting our hands is an important thing, but it doesn't necessarily mean we are engaging our spiritual life. And so the same thing when we sing. We can be singing the lyrics that we see, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're worshiping in spirit. But when our spirit begins to worship, it begins on the inside. Then our body begins to respond to what's being done in our spirit. And as our spirit begins to worship God, our mouth begins to worship God. And our hands begin to worship God. And our feet begin to worship God. Our whole being is engaged when our spirit begins to commune with God. Then the second thing happens when you begin to pray. And that is that you touch heaven. Earth is able to touch heaven through prayer. When you pray, you are touching the heavenly realm. And when you pray, you have the ability to move heaven, to move the very hand of God by faith. What's what happens then when you touch heaven? Number three, heaven touches earth. Say amen, somebody. When you begin to pray and you touch heaven with your faith, now heaven responds and heaven touches earth. That's the power of prayer. Jesus taught us to pray in this way. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Through prayer, we are able to bring the manifestation of God's will down to the earth. How many of you would agree this morning that we need a touch of heaven in the world today? Come on, our world needs a touch of heaven. America needs the touch of heaven. Beeville needs the touch of heaven. Kingsway Church needs the touch of heaven. How do we touch heaven? By prayer. And when we pray, heaven reaches down and touches the earth. Come on, do you need God to move in your life? I said, do you need God to move in your life? How many of you would like to see heaven on earth? Then you have to pray because prayer is the spiritual point of access. The Bible says that Daniel received a prophetic insight that God was going to bring the the Jewish people out of Persia and back to the promised land. Something unheard of in the Persian Empire and something really unheard of in in the history of world nations. The restoration of a people to their to their land. And so, what did he do? He began to pray. He had a promise from God. And now, by prayer, he enters into the spiritual realm. Begins to pray. As far as Daniel is concerned, he's in his house. He's in in his prayer room. And he's engaging in prayer with his mind and with his, with his heart and with his whole being. But as far as God is concerned, Daniel is standing in front of him in the throne room of grace. And he's telling the Lord, Lord, you promised that you would bring us back after 70 years. And this is the 70th year. And I'm asking you to move on our behalf. 
Come on. When you pray, you enter into the presence of God. You enter into the throne room of the living God through the name of Jesus and through the blood of the, of the lamb slain for the, from the foundation of the world. The Bible said that when Daniel prayed, the answer was given immediately. But while the answer was coming, the angel that was bringing the answer to a Daniel was intervened by or he was interrupted by the forces of darkness. And the prince of Persia tried to fight against Daniel. He was, he was resisting the purpose of God for the nation of Israel. And so Daniel didn't give up praying, but he kept praying. He prayed one day, then seven days. He prayed a week, then two weeks. Then he prayed three weeks. 21 days he prayed until the answer came. But he kept praying until the answer came. When the answer came, the angel said to him, Daniel, the moment you started to ask, I was sent with your answer. But I was restrained by the prince of Persia. There was a battle in the heavenly realms. But because you kept praying, I was able to prevail. Come on, church. Are you listening this morning? You have the power to win in prayer. You don't have to leave here and go to the Vatican or anywhere else. I said you have the power to win in prayer. When you pray, you enter into the very throne of the living God. And when you pray, Jesus taught us to pray this way. He said, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open unto you. And just as God had given Daniel a promise, he fulfilled that promise. And he brought the exiles out of Persia and back into the promised land. And they were restored until the time of Christ. You are able to change history by prayer. Say amen, somebody. We are able to change history by entering into the spiritual realm in prayer. Now, when you and I talk about touching heaven and heaven touching earth, we're talking about bringing the manifestation of a spiritual reality Into our natural world. The Bible says that Joshua arrived with the people of Israel in the promised land. Their first city to conquest was the city of Jericho. It was a strong fortified city. Impossible to penetrate, especially by an army of ex-slaves. And yet God said to Joshua, here's what I want you to do. I want you to march around that city once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, I want you to march around that city seven times. Now Joshua, by prayer, has received a spiritual instruction. That is one of the things we receive. Number four, when we pray, we receive spiritual instructions. Now our spiritual instructions don't always make sense to the natural. Imagine Joshua scratching his head and saying, Lord, you want me to do what? You want me to march around the city once a day for six days and seven times on the seventh day? Uh, I've been training for battle. We've been sharpening our swords. We've been preparing ourselves for war. And you want me to do what? You see, our, our instructions from God don't always make sense to the natural mind. But you just do what God told you to do. Say amen, somebody. You obey God's instructions. And when they did that, 
on the seventh day, they marched around that city seven times. And the scripture says that they shouted out with a, a, a shout of praise and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. What happened? They touched heaven and heaven touched earth and brought deliverance to them over that city. Come on, somebody. God wants to touch heaven. He wants you to touch heaven so that you can touch earth this week and so that he can bring the manifestation of his divine power into your life. How many of you have a Jericho that you need to fall down? You need a miracle. You need an answer. You need a breakthrough. Guess what? It comes by prayer. You and I must enter in to the spiritual realm by prayer. Now let me be very clear about that. We have to come by prayer. We come in the name of Jesus. We come through the blood of Jesus. There is no access in any other place. When you and I pray, we have the ability to receive divine instructions. And when those instructions are obeyed, we have the ability to see the heavens touch the earth. And things in our life change for the glory of God. Here's the second thing we have to do. Number one, we have to... Pray, enter the spiritual realm by prayer. Number two, we have to take our authority in the name of Jesus. You and I have been given authority. Jesus said, all power in heaven and in earth has been given unto me. That means he now holds the authority. Not only on the earth, but in heaven. And that authority, he said, I give to you the authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. The authority that Jesus has over the devil has now been delegated to the believer. Are there any believers in here this morning? Are there any believers in here this morning? Then you have that authority operating in your life. It is the authority of the name of Jesus. The authority to declare that Satan, you have to be out. You have been cast out and you have no claim on me. Listen, when you feel like the enemy is messing with your family, cast him out. When you feel like he's messing with your marriage, cast him out. When you feel like he's messing with your health, cast him out. You have been given authority in the name of Jesus. Everybody shout Jesus this morning. There is a name which causes hell to tremble. There is a name which causes sin to get washed clean. There is a name which heals the sick. There is a name which delivers captives. There is a name which destroys yokes. Come on, somebody. Do you know that name? I said, do you know that name? His name is Jesus. I said, his name is Jesus. And in his name, we have authority. We have power. And that power is asserted when you take authority in his name. The Bible said there were seven men in the book of Acts. They tried to cast out a demon. And the demon gave them a good whooping. And it's what he said to them. He said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? They had no authority. They had the name of Jesus, but they didn't have authority. What happened? You see, the authority of the name of Jesus is given to those who are under the authority of Jesus. If you won't listen to him, you don't have his authority. 
If you don't submit to him, you won't have his authority. But if you and I will submit to Christ and we will follow his instructions, we will walk in his divine authority. And the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against the believer. Come on, somebody. You have been given that authority in the name of Jesus. Number three. You must assert the lordship of Christ. You take authority in the name of Jesus and then you assert the lordship of Jesus Christ. You declare that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is the Lord of your family. That Jesus is the Lord of your life. That Jesus is the Lord of your finances. That Jesus is the Lord of your of your work life. That Jesus is the Lord of your property. That Jesus is the Lord in your neighborhood. You assert the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Listen, where Jesus is Lord, Satan has no claim. I said, where Jesus is Lord, Satan has no claim. When Jesus is Lord of a life, I don't care if Satan ran that life and plagued it and destroyed it and made a mess of it. The day Jesus becomes Lord, his claim is done and finished. Jesus said he has no claim on me. And if you're in Christ, he has no claim on you because you belong to Christ. You assert the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You declare He is Lord. And when you do that, the Bible says this, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. God never planned for you to fight the devil. He planned for you to resist him. That's how you win this spiritual battle. Instead of going one-on-one with the devil, you go face-to-face with God. You enter into that prayer closet. You enter into the spiritual realm. You you take authority in the name of Jesus and you assert the lordship of Christ. And when you're dealing with God, God will deal with the devil. Come on, somebody. While you're dealing with God, God will deal with the devil. Jesus has disarmed him at the cross. The devil has a strong bark, but he has no bite. Because he's been defeated at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. This battle is yours to win. This victory is yours to win. Every day of your life. So I want you to take this time with you this morning. And I want you to take this mighty weapon of prayer. And together we're going to wage war. Together we're going to lay claim to the promises of God in our life. We're going to pray according to what the Word of God tells us. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, Therefore I want every man in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath or dissension. What does that mean? That means when you pray, in order for your prayer to be effective, you lay aside anger. Who are you mad at? Who are you angry with? Who are you not forgiving? Let it go. Forgive this morning. Let it go. Say amen, somebody. Without wrath or dissension, disunity. If there's a quarrel going on, let it go. God 
will listen to you when you come to him with a pure heart. And you lay those things aside which are distracting you. Those divisions, those petty things. You say, God, I don't want anything in, in between me and you. And then we lift up our hands. That means we surrender. We come to God in prayer. And we say, God, you're God. And you're in control. And whatever you say will go in my life. I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to obey your voice. I'm going to listen to your word. And when you begin to pray like this, then you pray in the name of Jesus. Because it's the name of Jesus that unlocks the door. You can shout the name of Buddha and Mohammed and the name of Abraham and Mary and Kingsway Church all you want. That door won't open in a million years. But you call the name of Jesus. I say you call the name of Jesus. And heaven will stand at attention to hear your prayer. Come on somebody. You assert his authority in your life this morning. You lay claim to his lordship. You say Lord you're Lord. Not me. You humble yourself before him. You say, Lord, I'm going to move aside because I need you to lead. I can't win this battle. I can't win this battle with my money. I can't win this battle with my college degree. I can't win this battle with my experience. I can't win this battle with all that I know. I've got to have a spiritual victory. And that victory comes from you, Lord. You are Lord. You're in control. Would you stand with me this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to invite you to this altar. I want you to come if you know that there is a, a victory that you need in your life. Something you want to see in your life. And this morning you say, Pastor, I want to engage the spiritual battle with prayer. Whatever it is, it may be a small thing. It may be a great big thing. But we need heaven to touch earth. We need heaven to touch earth. Come on, if you want something from heaven to touch your life, let's fill this altar with prayer this morning. If you say, there are some things that I want changed, some things I want to grow, some things I want to develop, some things need to move in my life. I need heaven to touch earth. Hallelujah. The ruler of this world has been cast out. And he has no claim on you. So take your authority now. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Almighty God. We pray for an invasion of heaven on the earth this morning. In our health. In our minds. In our families. In our city, in our nation, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.